Well, good morning, everybody. It is a, a privilege to be gathered together in person, physically gathered in the War Church Sanctuary this morning, and uh, also so grateful for the technology that allows us to gather virtually as well. So wherever you sit, we're really glad that you're here today. Uh, here in the sanctuary, anybody back in the building for the first time today after a long absence? Anybody returning today? I see some hands up. First-time returners, welcome home. Yeah, I, I could tell that maybe some of you haven't been back in a while because you were trying to figure out the, why you were handed these things on the way in, and some of you were like, oh, they're giving snacks now. Um, this, is not a, this is for communion. At the very end of today's service, we'll share communion. This is what we're using now for communion. If you're at home, of course, you'll need to get your own bread and your own juice of any kind. Get that ready, and this is how we'll close our service together by sharing in the Lord's Supper. We've been in a series called Making Change, and I don't know if you can read this from where you sit, but there are four lessons we've been working through. Less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, and tomorrow matters. And we noted earlier in the series that this sounds like a college commencement speech. These are things you'd want every young person to know, everyone just starting out in life. These are lessons a lot of us have learned the hard way. And wouldn't we want to say to everybody starting out, we want them to tell them, less is more. That seems counterintuitive at first. You assume that more will bring more happiness, but a lot of people have chased that dream and found that to be empty. What leads to happiness is a contentedness, a willful contentedness, and a focused life. Less is more. Stress is bad. And by this kind of stress, we mean financial stress. And again, that also may seem counterintuitive because a little debt can allow you to keep up with the Joneses and get things that are outside of your reach. But debt leads to obligation and pressure. It robs your joy. And the Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. And we want to live in freedom. Giving is good. And obviously giving is good for the world. It can make all kinds of difference. It's good to give uh, to causes that make the heart of God smile. But giving is also good for the giver. Uh, Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. It's good for the soul. And then today we're going to look at tomorrow. Uh, today we're going to look at tomorrow matters. Tomorrow matters. And in this series, we've been spending our time predominantly in the wisdom literature of the Bible, a lot of time in Proverbs, and to a lesser extent, Ecclesiastes, and that's where we're going to be mostly today as well. Tomorrow matters. Uh, we live in a day and age where we don't have to think a lot about tomorrow because we can get everything we want today. We live in a time of speed and convenience, and I really appreciate that. Uh, we no longer have to wait an entire week to see our favorite TV program. Uh, when I was growing up, the wonderful world of Disney was on on Sunday nights, and you had to wait a whole week to watch the second one. You no longer have to do that. We can binge watch almost anything. Almost everything's available on demand. When Amazon Prime first started offering two-day delivery, it was amazing. You can get anything from anywhere in the world in two days. That's amazing. But anybody find today, after a little time with this, that two days often isn't uh, quick enough? You know, why do I have to wait two days? I want it today. Uh, it, it, we've changed the way we communicate with people, and this little device has changed our expectations. When I'm texting somebody and it's a good friend of mine, you know, I expect to see bubbles immediately. 
Right? They, they got this three seconds ago. What's taking them so long? Uh, we move at the speed of light. We want things now, and for the most part, we can get things now. We can live in the now. And I love all of these conveniences. I would not want to give a single one of them up, but it has shaped us to be people who do not need to plan for tomorrow. We went to a wedding this weekend, and my, my daughter... Uh, found the perfect shoes to complement her outfit. She's 16 years old. She found it online, and she found it three days before the wedding online, which she thought would be plenty of time. But because of stock issues or location, it said this package cannot be delivered for five days. It seems like an eternity, and she was not able to wear the perfect shoes with that outfit because she was only three days ahead. Now, this wedding has been on our calendar for a year and a half. <laughs> but we don't need to plan ahead. Now, ultimately, she did find some substitute shoes, but she had to go to a physical store. And we had to kind of explain things. This is a building, sweetheart, and these are, these, that's a cashier, and this is kind of how this works on the, on the inside, right? We live week to week, and this is supremely true in our finances, CNN study uh, reported that 76%, 76% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Meaning 76% of Americans, if one paycheck were missed, they would be in dire situations. Now, I want to be sensitive here because for a lot of people, paycheck to paycheck, week to week, is even a goal to achieve. We have people that are unemployed and underemployed, and we have single parents just trying to make it week to week. I want to be sensitive but for the vast majority of people listening to me right now, we don't have to live this way. We can live with some margin. We can live with some stored provision. We can plan for the future. When we recognize that tomorrow matters, it changes how we live today. When we recognize that tomorrow matters, it changes how we live today. This is what one of the Proverbs says, again, Proverbs 21, 20. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. This is an ancient way of saying that tomorrow matters. Don't gulp down everything today. Save some for tomorrow. And we see this elsewhere in Proverbs. This is one of my favorites. Go to the ants, you sluggard. The writer is, is pulling uh, every punch here. Uh, you sluggard, you, you lazy bones, go to the ant, consider its ways, and be wise. The ant has no commander, no overseer or ruler, and yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Even the ant grasps a lesson that often eludes us that tomorrow matters. Plan for tomorrow store for tomorrow. Uh, this lesson is repeated uh, throughout the Proverbs. A very famous parable of Jesus was read earlier. It's often called the parable of the talents. A talent is a measurement of money. Uh, modern translations sometimes just say a bag of gold or a bag of silver. And you heard the story, a master is going away on a trip, and he designs what's essentially a test of his servants. To one servant, he gave five bags of silver to manage. To another servant, he gave two bags of silver to manage in his absence. And to one, he gave one bag of silver, and the master goes away. What will they do with what the master has entrusted to them? 
When he returns, the one who had five bags says, Master, I've, I've, I've turned this into ten bags. I've, I've doubled the investment. Well done, servant. The second one says, I've taken these two bags and turned them into four bags. Well done. But the nervous servant, who was afraid, uh, just buried his bag and he just gave the master back the one bag that he had been given. Now again, this story is not just about money. This story is about everything the master entrusts to us. Our gifts, our resources, our abilities, our influence, our opportunities. How will you and I manage what the master has given to you to manage? But notice what the master says to the one servant who did nothing with what he was given. The master says to him, you wicked, lazy servant. Not just lazy servant, not just you sluggard, but wicked. You wicked, lazy servant. The faithful ones multiply what they have been given by God. I've always heard there are two ways you can make money. You can earn money through work, you know, labor. You exchange a fair day's labor for a fair day's work. Uh, or your money can work for you. And this is essentially what's going on in this story of Jesus. This is a story about investing. Look at the language again that Jesus used. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. He put his money to work. And he gained five uh, bags more. Uh, he put his money to work. God affirms those who multiply what God gives. Now, again, this is about more than just money, but it is about money. And so today I want to talk for a few minutes about investing. And you say, well, that's a weird topic for a sermon. Um, yes, it is, but the Bible speaks to this. And uh, I need to give a disclaimer here. I am not an investment advisor. Uh, I am not qualified to give investment advice. But I can tell you what the Bible says about money and about money management and I can encourage you, as I've been doing for four weeks, begging you to attend Financial Peace University where you can learn about investing and about budgeting and about what kind of insurance to get. It's so practical. So I want to give you just a, a few quick ideas about investing that come from the Bible and from the Financial Peace University class. But before I do that, I want you to see a short FPU highlights video of what you'll experience if you join us. Financial Peace University began about 20 years ago, and now today we've had over one and a half million families go through this course. This is the place where we start happening to our money, where we start aiming our dollars at our goals. You got to make your money behave. You work too hard to get to the end of your life and be broke. There's a massive group of people out there trying to sell you stuff. They want to interrupt your plans. Don't cash out your 401k. I know your 401k looks like a 201k. Remain calm. The only people that get hurt on a roller coaster are those that jump off. God's all in this thing. He's all about fixing you. He's all about fixing me. There's a redemption story built into this whole thing. And every time I give, every time I understand I'm not an owner, I move along that spectrum from selfish to selfless. Now, this is a boot camp. I'm your coach. I've had some good coaches, and they lit me up a time or two, but it caused me to go places I couldn't go otherwise. You change your life when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, or you say, I've had it. This is how you get out of debt. You got to run for your life. 
You gotta run, 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 run. You gotta bust it. You gotta go like your life depends on it. What would happen to the kingdom of God if the people of God were out of debt? How much of this world could we as believers change? Yeah, Dave Ramsey uh, needs to switch to decaf, but he is, <laughs> he is pumped up and he will pump you up about these uh, kind of issues and you can see how to get involved. H- hundreds of people from our church have already been through FPU and you can join their ranks uh, very soon. So some very quick investment principles from the Bible, from the FPU class, uh, just very quickly. The first one is this, do not invest in things you don't understand. Maybe you've heard that before. Uh, this also from the Proverbs uh, 24. By, by wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. A house is built, uh, a portfolio is built, uh, a life is built through wisdom, and knowledge helps us know even what to invest in. You have a knowledge of it. Don't invest in things you don't understand. So, for example, I have never nor will I ever invest in Bitcoin because I am very certain I have no idea what that is. And uh, my son was trying to explain this to me, uh, what is Bitcoin? And he said, well, it's just a form of cryptocurrency. Does that mean it's not real? Uh, it's, it's, It's real, it's not physical, he said. It's in a computer somewhere. I said, is that the cloud? Because I'm sure I don't understand the cloud at all. Right? Do, do not invest in things that you do not understand. That's investing principle number one. Number two, do not put your eggs all in one basket. You've heard about this before. And actually, uh, Solomon, the, the wisest man who ever lived, sought out for his wisdom, said this, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come from the land, upon the land. Here's Solomon uh, teaching about diversification, about spreading out risk. So all of my retirement money is held in mutual funds. Mutual funds is a way for small investors to get into the whole market with a little bit of money and it's automatically diversified. You, You don't want to put all your investments in one basket. And principle number three, don't try to, don't try to get rich quick. Don't try to get rich quick. And again, the Bible speaks to this. Look at this from Timothy. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Right? We have seen this time and time again. When you get greedy, you lose your objectivity. You make bad decisions. You fall into traps, other people's traps, other people's plans for you. And so someone comes to you and they say, I have a way you can double your money with no risk at all. And there's an old adage, not from the Bible, but still true, that says, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. But when you get greedy, you fall into these things that, that normally you're too smart for. But greed takes us in there. Instead of get rich quick, I think the Bible and financial planners would encourage get rich slow, right? This is what the Bible says also in Proverbs 13. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Get rich slow. Gather little by little and make it grow. 
get rich slow. And here's a time-tested uh, formula for this. Money plus consistency plus time equals wealth. Money plus consistency plus time equals wealth. Gather a little, little by little and putting it even in a marginal investment over time will grow. Sometimes we worry about our return rates and those things when financial planners tell us the most important thing is that you put money aside, that you actually do something with it. That's the most important uh, part. I did <clears throat> I learned this principle early and uh, I thought about this with my kids uh, for their college fund. When our firstborn child came, I was in graduate school. I was in a program where I was working after four years of study I could have a, a, a Master of Divinity from Princeton Seminary and a Master of Social Work from Rutgers University uh, just down the road. It was, it was dual enrolled and, uh, and we were going to have a baby. And at that time, I was not sure if God was calling me to church work or to social work. But I assumed that either way, I would never make a lot of money, and so I had to use consistency and time. So I went in uh, to open a college fund, and they said, well, how old is the child? And I said, the child's not been born yet. Um, he's doing six months, and they say, apparently you can't open a college fund for an unborn child. You can set money aside, but you can't open a traditional college fund. So I waited, and the child was born, and really three days later, I opened up a college fund, and I put $100 in the college fund, and I did that every month for his entire life. And when I could, I threw in $200 instead of $100 and did this for each child. And, and somehow, over the course of time, when it was time for them to go to college, that college fund had grown to about $50,000 per child. And if you've sent a child to college recently, you know $50,000 does not cover college. But thanks to that college fund and some scholarships and a generous grandmother, my two boys graduated from college debt-free. Now, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm just saying to illustrate this principle uh, if you have a lot of money, a lot of money, you don't need to worry about this. You can just pay for college. But if your resources are limited, then consistency and time are most important to you. If you don't have a lot of money, it's consistency over time that's going to be the game changer for you. Angie and I were fortunate early in our married life to be taught by our pastor this uh, principle I've taught you many times. 10, 10, 80, 10, 10, 80, you've, you've seen this. The first 10% of your income goes to God and God's purposes. The Bible talks about a tithe. Uh, and then the next 10% is a long-term savings plan like a retirement deal. And then you live on 80%, 10, 10, 80. And I'm so grateful that this was taught to us early. And we have basically been following this our entire married life, um, which has been 29 years today. Yeah. Yeah, today is my anniversary. Um, today is also my wife's anniversary. We, uh, we share that day, and, uh, and we, have, we have plans to celebrate it later this month. I'm just telling you this so that you don't judge me should you see us at Qdoba later this afternoon. And think, and think wow, he really is saving. Uh, takes that seriously. Uh, now, there are a couple seasons that we have violated this or had to redefine it, and I've regretted most of those. I want to tell you about uh, one that was a noble idea. Uh, many years ago, we were pastoring in the little town of Mount Pleasant, 
and there was a building program happening. It was a very exciting time in the life of the church, and uh, we wanted to reach more people for, for Jesus, and we asked people to really sacrifice, to, to give to this, this project, and people did. And the stories were so inspiring. Uh, one family talked about it, and they decided to forego their trip to Disney World and give the money to this project instead. One guy in the church sold his boat. Uh, one uh, business guy sold an apartment building and gave the proceeds to this project, almost a million dollars. College students took on jobs to support this building that they would probably never see because they would probably move somewhere else. It was one of those really Holy Spirit-infused, exciting seasons. And so, of course, my family did what we asked every family to do. We sat down and discussed what could we sacrifice for this? What could we carve out of our 80%? And, And this is where our conversation was not nearly as spiritual as I had hoped. It was really hard to decide what we were going to sacrifice. And we decided that we would uh, cut out cable television. Now, back in that day, it was the only option. Uh, A lot of you have cut the cord on cable, and then you subscribe to 12 other subscription services, and it actually costs you more than cable ever did to begin with. That's what we did. but this was, there was no other option, and in those days, the cable guy had to come to your house to turn off the cable, and I remember that day when he came out, and, uh, and my family started to really second-guess it, and my little boys were grabbed hold of my legs. No, Daddy, no, don't take away the cable. Uh, it was really hard, and we, I wanted to do more than just give up cable. Uh, people were making such huge sacrifices, and we, we had a hard time coming up with anything. We had just bought a little travel trailer, and we thought about selling that, but actually did not feel called by God to get rid of that yet. Um, and so um, we decided, I decided unilaterally that what I would do is take the, take the 10% that usually goes to my retirement and give that instead to this program. It was a three-year giving program and I would take the retirement over three years and give that. And that's what we did and I felt called by God to do it and feel, felt great about it. Until this week, when prepping for this sermon, I pulled up a financial calculator, and I just thought for fun, let me see what, what that really cost me uh, with consistency and time. And I think all those years ago, at 34 years of age, I may have made my first million-dollar gift, uh, or half a million, depending on what percentage you put into the calculator. Uh, and again, I, I didn't give a million dollars. I gave my, my 10% of what I was making is very small, but consistency over time, it's incredible. I was 34 years old. If I had left that for 40 years, what that would have become uh, later. Now, God's taken great care of my family, and I do, don't regret that uh, much. Uh, but, but, but I wish I had worked a little harder, honestly, to, to, to carve it out of the 80, that these days, I'm trying to keep these buckets pretty separate and have them not touch each other. I've got these firm categories that I want to hold to. Uh, it's a formula that has served us well. Well, maybe you haven't saved or given like you could have. Maybe you did not have the good fortune of learning the 10-10-80 formula early like Angie and I did. Or maybe you learned the formula but haven't followed it. There's no guilt here. Right? That was then, this is now, you can start this right now, this is a new chapter in your life. The time and consistency principle works not only with saving, it works with giving. I got a call one year ago in the height of the coronavirus pandemic 
from a representative from Crew, uh, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ, letting me know that our church, Ward Church, has received an award because we have passed the $1 million mark in investment in that organization and what we've given to Crew Inner City Detroit and what we've given to support several staff members. And I was really surprised by that because it's not our biggest contribution. We have other partners we support in much larger ways. How did we get to a million dollars? Well, we've given over 30 years. And we have people in our church who now have crossed a million dollar donor mark. Now you have to make some money, but these people aren't super affluent, but they've just been giving for 40 years. We have people who have passed the $100,000 mark because they've been tithing and giving to the poor and supporting missionaries. And it's amazing when you can look back over time and say, wow, I never thought I would be able to invest in God's kingdom the way that we have. I never thought of my means I'd be able to do those kind of things. But over time, you begin to see what God can do through small things. This works for marriage. Make small investments in your marriage over time. Don't look for that big life-altering conference that's going to turn things around in a weekend. Marriage is not a get-rich-quick deal. Instead, invest in small, consistent ways in your marriage. This works for parenting. Invest in small, consistent ways in your kids. You're a parent with a demanding job and not a lot of time. Look for small ways. It's a conversation. It's a verbal blessing. It's a compliment. It's consistency over time. And if you have not lived this way, that's okay. You can start right now. Maybe you've been thinking too big, and it's time to think small. Jesus invested in a handful of people, and the few people that Jesus invested in, that investment turned this world upside down. So I want to encourage you today to become great investors, not just with your money, but to invest in your marriage, invest in your children, invest in your friends, invest in your church. If you recognize that tomorrow matters, it affects what you will do today. As I wrap up this message, let me ask you, what's a small investment that you can make this week in your marriage, in your kids, in your friends, in your finances? What's a small investment that you can make this week? Will you do it? Would you bow in prayer? I want to guide you in prayer this morning. That means if you'll bow and, and talk to God, I will talk to you. I'll kind of prompt you through this prayer. In an attitude of prayer right now, ask God to reveal to you an area of your life in which you need to make a change. And then listen. Listen to the still small voice of God. Maybe God will call to mind a person in whom you need to invest. Might be a spouse, might be a child, might be a friend. Maybe God will give you a number, an amount that you need to sacrificially give to a kingdom cause. Maybe God wants to speak to you about an attitude that needs correcting. Maybe God wants to speak grace and forgiveness to you. What do you hear God saying? What is God calling you to do? 
Our lesson today is tomorrow matters, and it affects what we do today. So let's take this lesson up to the highest level and say tomorrow matters eternally. Planning for the future includes planning for a life beyond this one. In prayer, ask God to reveal to you His eternal hope. Listen to God call your name. You will spend eternity somewhere. All those who trust in the saving power of Jesus Christ will spend eternity with Him in glory, and those who don't will spend eternity separated from God. Jesus talked a lot about this. This would be a great moment right now to pray, God, I, I haven't given enough thought to my relationship with you in this life, much less in eternity. I know I need forgiveness for my wrongdoing. I need your power in my life and the life to come, so be my God. I place my today and my tomorrow into your hands. Take a moment now, everybody, to thank God for life and blessing, for his presence and power. And now, God, we turn to celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. We ask that you meet us in this sacrament. Set apart the ordinary bread and cups that we have gathered here in the sanctuary and in our homes to be for us now the one body and the one cup of our Lord. Remind us of your sacrificial love displayed on a cross. Remind us of the power of the resurrection. Raise us again to new life and new hope. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're ready here in the sanctuary. If you would get your communion cup ready. If you somehow missed this on the way in, if you would put a hand in the air and leave it up, we have some deacons who will come get you one. I see some hands around the sanctuary. Just leave your hand up until you get one of these if you'd like to participate today. If you're at home, again, you need some bread and some cup uh, there where you are. Any kind of bread, any kind of juice will work. Uh, here in the sanctuary, just a moment, you, I, I hear the cellophane. You, you, you figured out there's two levels of cellophane, top one for the bread, bottom part for the juice. And listen, wherever you are today, all who have faith in Jesus Christ are invited to participate in this very ancient symbolic sacrament. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're still exploring, um, I ask that you would take a pass and just observe. But if you're a follower of Jesus today, you're invited, even if you follow Jesus imperfectly, even if you doubt even if you stumble and fall when you follow him, even if you make mistakes, I invite you to come and receive a reminder of the grace and power available to you and to me in Jesus Christ. Now, if you'd pull back that top layer and get your bread ready. The Bible says that in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And now if you'll get the juice ready. And then after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Take now the cup of redemption. Well, God, we have gathered uh, in this place physically and from our homes this morning as fallible, fallen followers of Jesus. We have stumbled and made mistakes. We have lost our way. We have sinned. We have missed the mark. We have not loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. God, we need forgiveness. We need the blood of Jesus and its cleansing power. And so we thank you for that again today, that we are gathered as forgiven sinners. And then, God, we pray that by this mysterious sacrament and that by your word and by this fellowship and by your Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen us, that we might walk more uprightly, that we might follow Jesus more deliberately, that we would represent his compassion, his wisdom, his power, his grace, his kindness, that people would see in us the one whose name we bear. We pray not only for our church, but for the churches all over the world, the one historic global church in all different countries who will share in this very sacrament using different languages, They will worship you with different instruments. They will praise your name in their own way. And yet, God, we are one church throughout the ages. And we thank you that we get to be a part of that. We pray this with grateful hearts. In the name of our Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.